Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bowl, Director of Public Affairs. Today I'm joined by B.J. Tanksley, our Director of State Legislative Programs. B.J., thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. You have been over at the Capitol for about two months now in session, nonstop. I don't even know if you've been home because it just seems to never end. And they've even had filibusters and all sorts of things, all night, all-nighters already. Um, so how are things going over at the Capitol? Well, when you when you put it like that, I sure wish the uh, list of things that are complete was a little longer yeah. than it is. There's been a lot of work. I yeah. don't know if there's been a lot of com- completed yeah, you know, let, items. but Let's not stress the it's been two whole months, what's done yet. Yeah. But, uh, no <laughs> doubt. I was speaking progress. To, I was speaking to a group this weekend, and the people before me, they had a lobbyist separate from them speaking. And he said, yeah, you know, I just couldn't stand being over there day after day after day. Yeah. And then I got up to speak, and I'm like, I'm that guy that's there day after day. But, uh, no, no, things are going well. It, it has been – there's been weeks that are busy, weeks that aren't. I will say in the month of February, we had some interruptions because of weather, yeah. um, some filibusters. When you have a long filibuster that lasts into the wee hours of the next day, you basically lose the next day. Mm-hmm. The good news is probably something got passed or will get passed because of it, but you lose a day. So there's been a few missed days. But overall, I think it's been um, – you know, it's a it's been a productive – for this time of the year, yeah. um, legislative action always ramps up as the as the calendar rolls on, but I think we're moving in a good way. Yeah, it seems like they really got after some things a little faster than yeah. normal this year. So I think maybe a lot that of votes well for the the end of the session. Yeah, I think a lot of that is you've got some some representatives and senators who who are seeing the end of their term limited time coming up. Yeah. Um, you've got some that are running for higher office or the next office or running for reelection, and they say, "Hey, let's get some things done." It also helps that this is the second year of what is actually a two-year legislature. Um, So they're familiar with each other. They know what the issues are. And so we did hit the ground running on several issues. Yeah. And you did mention and allude to this that uh, the filing date was just a couple days ago um, this week for uh, the the, the opening of the filing period, I should say, because it actually lasts about a month. But a lot of people, the main candidates, usually uh, file on that first day. So there's quite a few of those races that are um, that are especially for higher offices, yeah. people are trying to move up um, that are probably going to be pretty highly contested. And you think that's going to come into play uh, throughout the rest of the session? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting year when you look at pre-filing. Like you said, most candidates either file on one of two days. They either file on the first day of filing or they wait till the very last day. Yeah. Um, and that's for multitude of reasons. It makes headlines either way. Um, but yeah, we did have a large number of filings. Um, when I take just a brief look at it, you know, um, we're in an interesting place where actually most of the statewides, there's not a lot of primary battles in that mm-hmm. level of racing. Now, when you're running for who's going to replace some of those term-limited uh, senators, there's several primaries starting to shape up. Some of those between sitting um, representatives and some with outside influence as well as sitting representatives, it will play a role in what happens. I think um, – as far as productivity, we're probably in a lucky place where um, I don't think you're going to see a lot of that sniping in the Capitol uh, over contentious races because of the fact that not a lot of those races are like multiple people running for lieutenant governor or things yeah. like that, at least with the way the races look to be shaping up as of now. Um, politics always play into it, but but I think most of that um, – most of those races will be – handled outside of the Capitol, and I don't expect a lot of spillover. Yeah, well, hope that's the case, because yeah. that can really throw a wrench into things. Absolutely. Well, so on the specifics of things that you've been uh, working on over there the last few weeks, we've had some successes. One of them is the PDMP, um, yeah. the opioid 
uh, drug uh, prevention bill uh, trying to reduce the prevalence of overprescription. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that Holly Rader from the Sykeston, uh, Scott City area down southeast Missouri has been pushing for several years now yeah. and, uh, fin- and and was able to get through the, the House again. Yeah, I got it through the House um, uh, last week or the week before. Um, long House debate on that where there's not always a lot of lengthy House debate. Uh, but that was able to get perfected and then third read and, and then actually hit the um, hit the Senate Senate committee this week. Um, a long hearing with a lot of um, a lot of proponents. Several individuals came to speak out against it. A lot of groups and organizations in support of it. Um, and actually, the Senate Judiciary Committee moved to vote it out of committee the same day they heard it. it they had already heard the Senate version of the bill. Uh, most senators kind of know where they stand on a PDMP, whether they were for it or against it. So the chairman actually decided to go ahead and vote that out of committee the same day. It was a tight vote, um, but it did make it out of committee. So at this point, we're looking at, you know, it just has to be reported to the floor so that basically the Senate leadership has to ask for it. So they have to be ready for debate. Um, and then they'll they'll take that to the Senate floor for debate. And as you know, Representative Rader has been the champion of this for a long time. Senator Luke DeMeyer is the one handling it in the Senate. Um, but the Senate's where this, this issue's always come up and been uh, highly contested. Mm-hmm. You know, nationwide, every other state in the nation um, has a PDMP, a and, statewide and why, PDMP. Why don't you take 30 seconds and just explain what PDMP is for those who don't know. Yeah, so a PDMP keeps track of prescription drug monitoring program. So if you go to the doctor and say, you know, you you need some an opioid scheduled, I believe it's two and three drugs uh, prescribed by doctors, administered by um pharmacist, this would create a a database where they could look and see your prescription history. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this does, it it keeps that prescription history in one centralized place. What we have heard is that some doctor's organization, some hospital organization, some of the pharmacists already are doing this on a one-off basis. But the problem with that, um, as someone who we both grew up on opposite sides close to borders is... Just because they're not from Missouri doesn't then nobody can see that history. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a uniform service, doctors and and pharmacists can't see that complete history. What we hear from the doctors' organizations is, without having a complete system covering most people, it's hard for them to make prescription decisions. I know you're probably in the same boat I am. Um, for the last few years, when I've gone to the doctor and said, "Hey, this hurts." They look at me with a little bit of a questioning yeah. eye and ask me a hundred questions. Part of that's probably because they can't go see that I don't have a history of of coming and asking for right. for medication. Um, and so this would help in those situations. We do hear from the chronic pain um, sector that this would be a problem for them. I think there's answers in the bill that would allow those people who are truly diagnosed with a real chronic problem to still have access to the medications that they need. Um, but I think it would add a layer of protection for those and allow doctors and pharmacists to make well, fully informed decisions. That's yeah. what it really comes down to. Um, and it wouldn't solve all problems. It would we all, not. We know that. We because, do not claim for it to be a silver bullet in yeah, that way. You look at, there are 49 other states yeah. that have these and there's still an opioid there problem. There still is. And even more significant than in Missouri yeah. in some of those states. But it's um, been at least somewhat helpful in some of those states. So it's one of the tools in the toolbox yeah. we're looking for. And, and what was surprising to me when experts came and visited with our resolutions committee about this problem is this is about trying to cut off the beginning of the problem. Mm-hmm. They, they truly believe a lot of people that end up in the unfortunate case of being addicted to opioids truly started with a legitimate medication. That this was, I was in a car accident and needed, I had a lot of pain and needed prescription for that. Um, and then over time, it became a dependency on right. that. And that was surprising. And so that the idea is, 
if doctors and pharmacists start to see that pattern, they can then help with that issue rather than continuing to just have to go off what they see in front of them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, hopefully that'll make some traction in yeah. the Senate, although I know there's some big hurdles to getting it through. Absolutely. Um, the Senate has been the place where the issue has come up in the past. Um, it's going to be interesting again this year. Senate leadership is dedicated to trying to pass some. I know this is something that they see as a priority to get done. Um, you know, the Trump administration said this is one of the tools in the toolbox to address the mm-hmm. opioid addiction crisis. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of push to try to get it done, um, but the Senate's always where the issue's been. So mm-hmm. we'll continue to push on that. Good deal. Well, the, uh, one of the other things that I know people care a lot about in uh, our audience and uh, may not have um, been keeping up to date on as much as the property tax issue where um, the state tax commission is um, every other year, I believe, is uh, required to look into what property valuations are and see if the valuations need to be adjusted. And we are working on some language that might put a cap on any upward adjustments. And sounds like we're making a little progress on that. Yeah. So um, Representative Jeff Knight um, has the bill and Senator um, Senator Brown in the Senate has it uh, to put a 2% cap on any, any increase and an 8% cap over 10 years. Um, like you, you explained, the state tax commissions reevaluates agriculture land productivity valuations. Now, that's a lot of words to say that agriculture land is actually taxed, not based on its retail value, but the value that which someone could actually produce off that land. It's taxed because that land is your business. That's what you make money off of. And sometimes it's worth more and sometimes it's not. You know, we see that ag markets come and go. And so that's the way this is assessed at this time. The What we would like to see is currently there's no cap as to what the state tax commission can put forth. The legislature gets the opportunity to say yes or no to any increase, um, but there's no cap to that. So it really does leave agriculturalists up to the whim that could be a pretty large increase. Mm-hmm. Now, we're lucky. We're in a position now where the state tax commission has, has agreed with us and kept ag values low over the last several years. And we've got a legislature that would be protective of agriculture should a large increase be suggested. But that doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. And this is a great opportunity to us to put long-term protections in for that ag land valuation to make sure that we keep farmers and ranchers being able to be productive on that land. When I talk to friends of mine who do our type of work from other states, Nebraska, for example, ag land value is their number one issue. And they really say it's the only issue that matters because they are getting taxed at such a high rate that it's actually pushing people off of that land in in agriculture. Mm -hmm. It's worth more for them to sell it outright than to try to produce there. We actually heard in the committee the other day of someone from Nebraska looking to buy land in other places, productive land that is otherwise making money because the taxes are just breaking them. We we want to make sure we don't do that. And the other thing to keep in mind is as tax burdens continue to shift, you know, we have to make sure that agriculture is always protected for the long term. So we're excited about that. We actually had that bill heard previous week and then this week was voted out of the House um, Ag Committee. So we're excited to see that continue to move forward and hope to see some movement on the um, Senate side coming up soon. But it's it's a positive move forward for long term protection for agriculture. Great. Well, one of the things that we've heard a lot about over the past couple of years is the feral hog issue in southern Missouri. And um, I know that there's a lot of different proposals out there. Uh, Where do any of those stand right now? Yeah. So um, Representative uh, Chris Dinkins out of Iron County, that area, uh, 
Um, I think she probably touches a couple of other counties, but the Iron County region, um, she had a bill to allow for the use of night vision and thermal imaging by landowners and landowners agents. Um, that bill was in line with Missouri Farm Bureau policy, and we testified in support of it. That bill was heard actually several weeks ago. In the meantime, we've been working towards the opportunity to address a couple other priorities for Farm Bureau relating to feral hogs, which was um, the the definition of feral hogs for Missouri Department of Agriculture and MDC as they're administering rules and regulations, and then also um, increasing the penalties on the movement of feral hogs. I have spoken about feral hogs on these um, podcasts several times and probably every time talked about the need to increase the penalties uh, for movement. So we were looking to address those things. It turned out that our negotiations back and forth, um, Representative Dinkins wasn't, in the end, wasn't comfortable moving forward with the larger package. Um, We did see the um, thermal imaging and night vision bill move forward, and we were happy to see that. It is something we support, um, and we're lucky and we're in a situation, um, Representative Warren Love has a bill to address the um, definitions and the uh, penalties for movement, and and we're going to be looking to see that bill move forward coming soon. Mm -hmm. Um, The good news is we've had some practice talking about the issues, and legislators have heard those arguments, um, and we look for the um, House Conservation Committee to move that bill in in the coming weeks. I talked to the chairman, and and we discussed it at length. You know, there's some people who who balk a little bit at um, whether or not it should be raised to the level of a felony. Mm -hmm. And I said, we're going to do some research on what levels raise issues to felony um, and and just do a comparison. But I think we're in a pretty good place. You know, it came to me that um, vandalism, vandalism that causes damage of more than $750 is considered a class E felony. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty easy to argue that dropping a, a group of feral hogs on the landscape is going to do more than $750 worth of damage, especially when we've heard from cattlemen down in Wayne County. Um, in that area, they're talking about tens of thousands of dollars worth of pasture damage being done by feral hogs. Yeah. And the truth is, as long as you're not transporting feral hogs, this isn't a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's what we that's the ultimate goal, is to make sure that nobody's moving these things. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll get some progress there, yeah, too. excited about it. Well, there are a handful of other things that uh, you've also been tracking over there. And the like, imminent domain reform is one of the things that I know has gotten a lot of attention um in the in the press and something we've talked about a lot too um wh- where are we uh, on that one um we're past one house and on the other looking for activity in the senate uh and we do have um we do have the support of, of a lot of senators and excited to be continue to push that forward. You've seen a lot of work on that. We've seen a lot of work on that, pushing back and forth. Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of lobbyist activity in the Capitol working mm-hmm. on that. But I think we're well positioned to continue to move that issue forward. The most exciting news came from the um, – from our legislative briefing a few weeks ago where we had Governor Parsons join us, and, and you're well aware of what he, he put out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good to see. he uh, As he spoke to our membership, he mentioned that he was in support of our efforts on reforming an Im- imminent domain and didn't believe that utility companies like such as the Grain Belt Express um, – and clean line project should have the power of eminent domain, and he he agreed with our position on that, and yeah. uh, he has uh, essentially said he would be supportive of those bills. It's exciting to have the governor's support, no matter what, especially knowing that in the end, ultimately, he's going to be the one to decide if it does become law or not. Yep. Um, but even in the Capitol, letting legislators know that we have the support from the executive office is a big deal for us, and we're excited about that. Um, you will probably farm bureau members will probably hear more news on that front coming out. You know, last year we did a rally where we brought people to the Capitol and said, this is a big deal. Let's try to get it across the finish line. There's there's a chance that happens again this year, and we'll probably be working on those kinds of efforts in the coming time because the truth is the other side has honestly 
They've hired a lot of lobbyists. They've yeah. spent a lot more money on lobbying this year than they have in the past. Um, and there are just a few of us over there talking about it from our point of view. Um, so I think it may there may come a time when we ask our membership to come out and rally again. The truth is we came really close last year. I think we have a great opportunity this year because we've started the conversation so much earlier. So there's a real opportunity to strike at this point. But um, you'll probably hear more of that from our members, and hopefully people out there will be willing to come and have their voice heard. Yeah, and another issue that the governor has been very supportive of is uh, rural broadband development. Yeah. He was instrumental in getting the first grant programs begun last year, which first grants ought to be awarded next week. I yeah. believe March 5th is the date that the first grants should be coming out. And he's uh, put in a proposal this year uh, asking for a doubling of the grant money there. You think that's going to make it through? Yeah, so I think um, the House is just about to wrap up their actual budget proposal, meaning the behind-the-scenes part. So we will expect to see that roll out here in the next couple of weeks, probably prior to spring break. That will be the ultimate test of whether or not the House is going to hold all $10 million. Now, we've had a lot of conversations with budget leaders, and I sure hope that we're able to. If not, I do think we will at least see an increase in that broadband budget. And we've talked to the Senate leadership, and I think that they're ready to push for that whole $10 million. So that's a great opportunity. You know, like you said, um, grants are supposed to roll out here very shortly. And I, I talked to Tim Arbiter this week. He's excited about it. I think he thinks it's going to be a really exciting opportunity. People are going to see the actual work that they've been doing behind the scenes starting to roll out. Um, and I think um, the provider community is ready to engage those dollars and take them from there. So we're excited about that. On the legislative front, we have some bills out there to allow for um, some special taxing districts to allow those things to move forward in specific locations when voted on by the people. Um, that'll be a decision by those people in those areas. So there's some opportunities for that. And then ultimately, number one priority uh, besides um, the appropriation is to extend that sunset. And that bill has been moving in both the House and the Senate and, and with little to no opposition to that at all. People are excited and they know that broadband is expensive and we're going to have to be behind it as a state. So largely they're supportive. So I look to see those bills continue to move. We've had a lot of Nothing but positive uh, movement on those at this point. So I think we're well positioned. Hopefully we see one or both of those pass the House and the Senate prior to spring break uh, to keep the momentum going. Good. Well, hopefully we will get that done. Yeah. All right. Last item we were going to talk about today is uh, the biodiesel bill, yeah. the Missouri Made Fuels Act that has uh, been working its way through the legislature. Um, I know there's been a lot of back and forth on that this week. What are you hearing? So there has been. Um, this is another one of those hotly contested issues. Um, you know, we are we are supportive of a seasonably flexible biodiesel standard. Missouri Farm Bureau has long had policy in support of a biodiesel standard um, and, and trying to move that forward. This year, there's been a concerted effort through the Missouri Made Fuels Act to try to do that. It would be a seasonably flexible up to 20 percent in the summer months. Um, and, and we're excited about the opportunity. We've had it voted out of, of committee in both the House and the Senate. And at this point, looking for some floor debate on the bill. Behind the scenes, advocates for and against are have been working on issues, trying to thread that needle that is both able to let the, the, the retailers that are now working, let them continue to work and work with them, um, while at the same time supporting the biodiesel industry in the state of Missouri. You know, there's a lot of technicalities to this thing. And what people a lot of times are saying is, you know, let the free market work. Well, if the retailers won't let 
a product into the free market, then it's not really free at this point. Mm-hmm. That, and that's the problem we've seen in the biodiesel industry is even when the industry has tried to make be as accommodating as possible, some of those large retailers and retail operations are saying, no, thank you. We're not interested in your product. Uh, part of that's because they're connected with their own fueling infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So there really are some, it's a complicated world that isn't 100% free market as we see it today. Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the things that we we like we we think is important to point out. There's a lot of good that can come from a bi- from using more biodiesel in the state of Missouri. It's not just good for the soy producer, although it is very good for the soy producer. Those biodiesel plants across the state, per, you know, they support a lot of jobs. These are largely rural jobs in places where there's not a lot of other infrastructure. And then also, it's a green energy. It's it's good for the environment. It's cleaner burning. It's also renewable because we grow more of it every year, and it reduces our our reliance on foreign fuel. You know, the truth is right now with the Trump administration, we're creating more um, domestically produced oil than ever before. But that's because of this administration. If that administration is to change, we could go right back to being much more um, fuel dependent. And and that's a situation that, you know, used to make a lot of noise. We don't hear a lot about it right now, but I do think it's still important to people across the state of Missouri. And one of the most interesting things about it is you would think that because it's good for row crop producers that it may be not for um, for our animal agriculture, but that's not the case here. The byproduct put off can still be fed to cattle and, and hogs and other animal agriculture, and it actually reduces the price for their feed. So it, it can benefit almost everyone, um, including our, our, our ag economies and rural economies, and I think there's a lot of good that can come from it. We're excited about it. Um, the other side is pushing back hard, but I do think there's an opportunity. And if if not this year, we, we are starting a conversation and, and bringing attention to um, some of the issues that have been blocking biodiesel from being able to come into the marketplace at, at a heavier standard. The, from what we hear from the people that are actually using it, they're excited about the use of it. They don't see the horror story problems that you that the other side is trying to push. Um, they're seeing a product that works for them. It works for them when it's warm. It works for them when it's cold. It's good for the engine. It's clean burning. Um, and, and we think there's a great opportunity there. Yeah. Well, all right. A lot of things on your plate. appreciate you bringing us up to date on where things stand. Yeah, it's been a busy time in the Capitol. Um, a lot of good things happening and and a lot of good things to come. Like you said in the beginning, it's been two months, and I, I wish we could say everything was complete at this point, but that's not the way the process works. But we are well po- positioned as we continue and get ready to turn the calendar to March um, to see a lot of great successes as we move into the second half of session. That's right. We're setting it up for success. Yes. All right. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.